Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, a warning from our old buddy George. Binge Mode contains adult content, much like Game of Thrones, the series adapted from my novels, A Song of Ice and Fire. If you have read the novels or have watched the show, then you're probably okay. Come join us on the Cinnamon Wind. It's time for Binge Mode. If it's equality you want, so be it. When House Tyrell stops sending our crops to the capital, everyone here will starve. And I'll make sure the hungry know who's to blame. Have you ever sowed the field, Lady Elena? Have you ever reaped the grain? Was anyone in House Tyrell? A lifetime of wealth and power has left you blind in one eye. You are the few. We are the many. Hello! Woo! And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished pressing his bare flesh against hey. the bars of his jail cell. How's your arm? <laughs> Feel tingly or anything? Yeah, just a scratch. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Jason? Yeah. That lightheadedness and blurred vision is nothing. Good. Just the dry air in the podcast <laughs> studio. Ooh, what about this nosebleed? <laughs> this sudden need to sit down. Stay with me. Okay. Because we are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. All we are of them? De- all of them. We all are right. deep diving one episode at a time. We are in a podcasting prison of sorts. No, <laughs> just kidding. Private joke. Private joke for us. Spoiler warning as always, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this episode and this season and beyond. So guzzle that antidote. Shake off the long farewell. Because it's time to break down season five, episode seven, The Gift. Jason? Yes. Maester Eamon wants Gilly, mm. Gilly Flower, uh, to get her baby south before it's too late. Luckily, we are already on the King's Road. So let's offer a brief refresher on what actually happened in this seventh installment by taking a quick trip through those plot points. At Castle Black, John and Tormund are gearing up for their mission to Hardhome. It's a very unpopular mission, to say the least. Thorne tells him this. Master Aemon is in bad shape. He's dying. He's 102 years old, and the Targaryen prince is playing with Gilly's baby, but he's calling it by his little brother's name, Egg. King Egg. Egg on the fifth. Egg. And he warns Gilly, as Mallory said up top, to get her baby south before it's too late. And then he dies. He was the oldest man in the realm. Let's get those bells! We shall never see his like again. He was the blood of the dragon. Sam speaks at his funeral, and as Eamon's funeral pyre blazes, Thorn threatens Sam. Seems you're running out of friends, Tali. You fucking cocks. Uh, <laughs> later, two Night's Watch brothers attack Gilly as she's chopping potatoes and stuff. Sam intervenes, gets his face beat up, and then Ghost steps up, saves the day. Ghost! You look fucking great. finally! He you looks look amazing. You look great. Um, later on, Gilly mounts Sam and rides him to completion. 
their cries mingling with the howling winter winds. Oh. Samuel Tarley. Yeah. Finally a man grown. At Winterfell, yeah. Sansa is begging, begging Theon for help, but he is reek now and he refuses. Still, she persists and asks him if he will light the candle in the tower window. Shortly thereafter, Ramsay summons Sansa to the yard, having a little chat, and then, oh, got something to show you. It is the flayed body of the elderly maid who had given her the candle and was trying to help her. Reek sold Sansa out. On the march to Winterfell, bogged down in the snow, Stannis' army is in deep trouble and getting deeper all the time because there's a winter storm burying them in snow. The horses are dying, and soon the men will be too. They're already coughing, and they seem quite ill. Davos advises him to return to Castle Black. Stannis, however, will not do that. He will either win or die. Still, in private, his confidence wavers. He asks Mel, are you sure? She says yes, but there are ways to ensure victory, she makes sure to say. You know, like your daughter who is full of king's blood. I'm not okay with this. I'm just bad. Not Stannis, okay with this development. To his extremely minuscule credit, Stannis <laughs> seems to refuse for a second. He also, it's also like a light, it's like, what about the leeches? Can't you do the leeches? Yeah, did, you, did you forget to pack the leeches <laughs> in Dorne? Meanwhile, Jamie and Marcella are allowed to speak and Marcella's like, uncle, what you doing? Yeah. After hearing Bronn down in the jail cell sing a few melodious bars of the Dornishman's wife, Tyene Sand gets comfortable with some bars of her own. Oh. Throwing her bare flesh against the jail cell and she's trying literally literally trying to get bronze blood up yeah because she knows that the wound on his arm laced with the toxin Ah. that was on her blades gotta get that to his heart gotta get that blood pumping sure enough lethal erection you know (laughs) bronze sinks to the ground nose bleeding (laughs) he's been poisoned and tyene gives him the antidote, but only after an ultimatum. Say that I'm the most beautiful woman in the world or die. She looks pretty good, though. Not really, c- kind of easy for him. Kind of, she looked real good. Um, <laughs> exurbs of Marine. Jorah is sold to a trainer of fighting pit fighters. Speaking of looking good. Uh, whoa, whoa. Oh. Tyrion beats another slave senseless with his own chains in order to convince the trainer to buy him too. Shades of Jaime beating their Lannister cousin to death in Rob's jail. Danny and Dario have a healthy sexual relationship, you guys, and she makes it clear that though she's marrying his Darzo Lorak, that won't change. Still, Dario is jealous. And he suggests that not only does she uh, open the fighting pits and gather all the masters and slaughter them, but maybe marry him. Um, when Jorah realizes that Danny is taking in the sights at the gladiator school, he forces his way into the arena. The Khaleesi rejects him again. Then Tyrion emerges from the barracks to introduce himself. Jorah looked good out there. Great I'm, form. You notice that... Oh, I noticed. She's like, you look good out yeah, there. She was like, this yeah. is disgusting. I'm stopping. Wait, who is this knight oh, I that's noticed. kicking everyone's ass? Hold <laughs> I on. I noticed. She was into it. Meanwhile, finally, in King's Landing. Yeah. Boy, is stuff going down in King's Landing. Lady Olena goes to see the High Sparrow. She, understandably, wants Loras and Marjorie freed. But she makes the same mistake as Cersei. She thinks that he's a grifter. He is a true believer they're not gonna outclass him no king tommen not having an easy time with this guy it's very tough for him right whining now. whining whining cersei's like listen everything i've done 
Right. All my great works. Right. All for you, bud. Olena has another meeting, this time with Littlefinger in the wreckage of his once grand brothel. She threatens him and is like, we killed a king together. Yep. Remember that? Hey, remember that? Littlefinger, he's wise enough to know that she is a worthy opponent. And so he gives her something. Hey, I've got a gift for you, a too. Tyrion's boy. not the only gift That's in right. this episode, right? A handsome boy. Brother Lancel. Cersei, of course, does not know that this has happened, that Littlefinger has betrayed her yet again. So she goes to visit Marjorie in the Sept. and For the salts, victory lap. Salts in her victory. Here's some day-old venison. <laughs> and she's riding high. Yeah. Until she is arrested by the faith. Mal. Yeah. If we retreat from this discussion, we'll be the podcast that ran. That's how they will talk about us. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is taking chances. So many characters are trapped right now, either literally imprisoned or so hamstrung by their circumstances that they might as well be. Others are working to fend off future disaster. Breaking free requires being bold, and that means taking chances, making moves, going for it. Shooting your shot, shouts to Shea Serrano. Shouts to Shea Serrano. You know, John doesn't have a ton of screen time in this episode. That's that right. will that will come in the next episode. Yeah. But he is taking a big chance. Huge. So big that his subordinates feel compelled to openly try to talk yeah. him out of it, right? So after Ed uncuffs Tormund and John gives Thorn command of Castle Black, Thorn just looks him in the in the eyes and says, Lord Commander, not good luck, not stay safe, not break a leg. He says, it is my duty. Other people are around. Yep. This is not a private conversation. It is my duty to tell you, I believe this mission to be not, no soft right. adjectives no, here. No, no, right? no, no, not at all. Not, not risky, not dangerous. Reckless, foolhardy, and an insult to all the brothers who have died fighting the wild Woo! Damn. That is a harsh assessment of John's actions. What choice does John have but to look at Thorne and say, as always, thank you for your honesty. And then, of course, we get our signature Ollie Cam. Oh, my God. The, <laughs> the face hallmark. all screwed up. So much Ollie Cam. So much Ollie Cam. And, you know, Sam, yeah. John's BFF, he is taking chances, too. And things start to take a turn for him as soon as John leaves because right after Sam's Really beautiful, really lovely yeah. eulogy for Maester Eamon. Thorne turns to him and says, you're losing all your friends, Tarly. Know, right? like, so much for this guy's extremely brief rehabilitation <laughs> extremely as a character. Brief. Yeah. And that's not the end of it, right? With John gone, two brothers, they attempt to sexually assault yep. Gilly. And Sam arrives right as this is happening and pulls his sword. Keep your hands off her. What do they say? Sam the Slayer, are you going to slay me with that sword? Look at his hands shaking. They're mocking him, yeah. right? Sam tells Gilly to go back into her room, but one of them pushes her. Yeah. And the other knocks Sam down, really with ease. You lying sack of shit. Killed a white walker? You fat ass fuck. Come on, get up. Turning to Gilly, is this your hero, this hog? Just belittling, bullying. Gilly starts to fight them. Yeah. You know, she he, he's trying to help her and she's trying to help him as well. One of them is brutally beating Sam while the other is holding Gilly. And then 
Sam is down. Yeah. And both of them begin to attack Gilly, but Sam rises. He's persevering. He says, I said, get your hands off her. He takes his chance. I killed a white walker. I killed a thin. He literally says, I'll take my chances. Right. <laughs> with you. And they begin to move towards Sam. And there's this great moment where you sort of see Gilly's eyes flicker yeah. up. It's like, what's she looking at? Ghosty with the musty! <laughs> in for the assist! He looked angry. Very Man. dangerous dog. I love that he comes to Sam's rescue yeah. there. Of course. The instinct. He senses. He knows, he knows who his friends are. There's also a funny moment shortly thereafter where after Ghost scares off right. the brothers and Sam kind of faints and collapses and Gilly is tending to him where Ghost is not in the shot anymore and it's yeah. just like, ah, budget. <laughs> right away. Right away. He should definitely still be <laughs> He's there. Like, I guess I'll go back to my closet and lay down after that. And then, so somehow, somehow, Gilly gets Sam up to his bed. Not sure how that happened. But... <laughs> What transpires? Oh, it's beautiful. In this chamber. The wildling that mounts the world. Um, Sam doesn't hesitate to make his protector move. And the great thing about it, too, is that even when he was beaten the first time, down, his face bloodied, he's like, well, I'm, going, I'm coming back. And he tries to explain to Gilly why he did this when she's like, don't ever do something right. like that. He's like, the next time you see something like that, you leave it alone, she tells him. I will not. What kind of man would I be if I ran away when I saw someone hurting you? I love that. It's great. Again, the guy who called himself a coward. I know. Back in season one. I mean, he's, you know, he like he's killed a white walker and he's killed a then. The then was with a crossbow. Okay. But still. He's found his courage. Yeah. Then she goes to get more water and he grabs her arm. Stay, please. She kisses his cheek and she climbs aboard. She sure does. Gets yeah. right up on there. Climbs aboard the SS Sam Tarly. One of the best, most charming parts of this, this is that, you know, right as they begin the act, Sam lets out this, this little yelp. Yeah, I was like, And oh. Gilly says, am I hurting you? <laughs> and, you know, he shakes his head and she says, are you sure? It's just very charming and sweet. And then they go for it all in. And the scene ends with Sam sort of letting out a little exclamation. Like, ah, oh, yeah. And now. The latest edition of George R.R. R. Martin reads a sex scene. Sam found himself kissing her back. I said the words, he thought, but her hands were tugging at his blacks, pulling at the laces of his breeches. He broke off the kiss long enough to say, we can't. But Gilly said, we can, and covered his mouth with her own again. The cinnamon wind was spinning all around them, and he could taste the rum on Gilly's tongue, and the next thing her breasts were bare, and he was touching them. I said the words, Sam thought again, but one of her nipples found its way between his lips. It was pink and hard, and when he sucked on it, her milk filled his mouth, mingling with the taste of rum, and he never tasted anything so fine and sweet and good. And suddenly his cock was out, jutting upward from his breeches like a fat pink mast. It looked so silly standing there that he might have laughed, but Gilly pushed him back onto her pallet, hiked her skirts up around her thighs, and lowered herself onto him with a little whimpery sound. That was even better than her nipples. She's so wet, he thought, gasping. I never knew a woman could get so wet down there. I am your wife now, she whispered, sliding up and down on him. And Sam groaned and thought, no, no, you can't be. I said the words, I said the words. But the only word he said was, yes. <laughs> oh my God. 
Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Um. <clears throat> Gonna be honest, forgot about the milk part. <laughs> oh. Incredible. Once again, just feel compelled to state for clarity. That is real. That happened. Those are the words in the book. <laughs> just want to make sure that is abundantly clear. Plenty of sex in Marine as well. Oh, yeah. A lot of interesting stuff happening with Danny and Dario and Tyrion and Jorah in pairs together. Yeah. Dario and Danny are really serious about their pillow talk. Not right. a lot of downtime here. And Dario is making his move because he doesn't trust his dar. And right. he's jealous, right? First of all. Pretending he's not. Right. He thinks his dar is the head of the harpies. Right. So he's making like a formal appeal, right. appeal here. But also he's like, how long till the king of my marine <laughs> right, has yeah. my pillow? Yeah. Right. He doesn't sound like that at all. He sounds sexy and wonderful. Right. And, you know, Danny's like, look, dude, I need the city of marine behind me. Right. I have no choice. And Dario says, Everyone has a choice. Even slaves have a choice, death or slavery. He says that she should marry him instead. Make that choice. And you're a queen, he says. You can do what you like. No, I can't, Danny replies. And this part is really kind of haunting. Yeah. He says, then you're the only person in Marine who's not free. And that line clearly lands hard with Danny. It also, I think, really lands with viewers because yeah. it's kind of like, how long have we been here? Right. And also, it's the complicated nature of ruling. Right. Right. Are you benefiting from the things that you're fighting for? Should you be? Is that what it's about? It's one of the things where Dario is, you know, often portrayed by others or even by himself. It's like, well, I'm just kind of like the fun guy and the right. fighter. But he right. has a lot of wisdom. Yeah. And he says a lot of things that really make you think. He also takes one more chance here. He says... On the day of the great games, gather all the great masters and wise masters and worthy masters you can find. Slaughter them all. Danny says, I'm a queen, not a butcher. Once again, some real philosophical stuff from Dario here in response. All rulers are either butchers or meat. That's another one of those lines that I can remember hearing in the trailer yeah. over and over and over again. And meanwhile, over at the slave market, our boy, Yezonzo Kagaz, right? Yeah. Sure. Kegaz, uh, yeah. Buys Jora for 20 gold after a stirring and not quite accurate sales pitch. <laughs> uh, and Tyrion there is faced with the prospect of his protector, this time his kidnapper and his protector all in one, being separated from him. So Tyrion knows he has to take a risk to seize this moment. So he runs forward. Says, wait, you have to buy me too. Uh, we're a team. I'm, I'm also a great fighter, I swear. And, <laughs> you know... Uh, so one of the slavers says, you know, he's funny. I'll give him that. And Tyrion realizes, well, I've got to really, it's now or never because I'm going to end up with my throat cut and my dick cut off and like my body in a ditch. So I've got to do something now. He pulls his jailer down by his chains and just beats him savagely. Yezin is impressed and buys him. Tyrion immediately tries to get to work on his new master. But that is... Couldn't leave well enough alone. No, that's getting a little beyond your station and he's saying, you know, you get in trouble if you try to put slaves in the fighting pits. Freed men, though. And then, boom, guy elbows him right in the face and gives him a coin. Here's your wages, funny man. It should last the rest of your life. And then later on, when they're having their first, I guess you would call it a scrimmage for the queen. And it just so happens that Daenerys and his are there getting a feel for what the fighting pits are going to be like. Once Jorah realizes that the queen is there because it was a surprise visit, he knows that he has to take his chance. So he just runs out there, helm on, just 
walking through guys. And I love the fact that Danny, who was absolutely disgusted. She had gotten up to leave. Yeah, she was like, this is, I can't watch it. And his daughter's like, it is customary for the queen to sit through the entire thing and watch everyone as their throats are cut. And she's like, no, this is fucking gross. <gasps> and out comes Jorah, whooping ass. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, I like the way you swing that stick. Hold on a second. Yeah. Like the cut of this one's jib. What's what's this? She ha- is entranced by this sight, and then he wins. You know, walks up to the front of the stage, <clears throat> takes the the helmet off, and the look on her face is like a mixture of, "Oh, you, I care about you, but also you really fucking hurt me." And she says, "Get him out of my sight," and it's fucking pathetic when he goes, Khaleesi, please. Khaleesi. I just need a moment of your time. I brought you a gift. And then Tyrion takes his, I mean, it's probably his fifth chance because he had to beat up the slaver. Then he had to tell the lie about the the magical dwarf cock. And then he (laughs) uh, was trying to uh, file through his chains while Jorah was out there fighting. And so then there's this. And he walks out and he says, it's true. He has. Danny's like, "Mm." Who are you? <laughs> I am the gift. It's a pleasure to meet you, Your Grace. My name is Tyrion Lannister. And it's impossible to overstate how cool this moment was. So the first incredible. This is something, I mean, book readers are not close to getting no, this. No, still haven't had it. The chapters that are that are out there that are um, preview chapters from Winds of Winter are, are like Tyrion is outside in a mercenary camp while the battle is raging inside Marine. And Danny is actually nowhere near Marine because she's out somewhere in the Dothraki Sea walking around barefoot. With her quickening womb. <laughs> quickening. So, <laughs> um, so it really is just an amazing moment, these two beloved characters finally coming together after 47 hours of a show and 20 years of a book. So incredible. So incredible. Yeah, it's great. Sansa. Ugh. Slightly less incredible. Yeah, very bad. Really tough situation in Winterfell. She is battered. She is in utter despair and Theon enters her chambers he's bringing her food and she remember I wanted absolutely nothing to do with him wouldn't right. take his arm but she is utterly desperate right. and she so needs second something. something the second he comes in she has to take her chance right and Reek is trying to talk her out of this she begs him for help and he says do what he says or he'll hurt you Sansa says, he already hurts me. Every night, all day, I'm locked in this room, and every night he comes, it can't be any worse. She tells him that her family, the Starks, they still have friends. People in the North are still loyal to the family name, that all she has to do is find a way to light this candle, get it in the tower, and she gives it to him and asks him to do this. She makes an appeal to the kernel of himself that might still be in there. Your name is Theon Greyjoy, son of Balon Greyjoy, last surviving heir of the Iron Islands. Theon, promise me. A lot of promises in this episode. Very few of them work out well. And he nods. And then he he goes off. He goes off. And where does he go? Well, is he going to take a chance? Is he ready for that? No, he's too broken. He's too afraid to make a move. He rats her out to Ramsay, who then brings her out to the battlements, to the courtyard. And shows her the flayed body of the elderly woman who had offered to help her. Real, real heavy echoes of the season one scene when Joffrey walks Sansa out in the Red Keep and makes her look at Ned's head. Terrible that she is going through this again. 
And she's still planning, though. She's obviously horrified by what she's witnessing, but she has to take any opportunity she can to start gaining an edge. She grabs, she notices a sharp object resting on a barrel. And Ramsey's kind of looking the other way. He's distracted. He's in his arrogance. He's distracted. And she grabs that. She is also starting to make her move emotionally. She is a prisoner now, but she knows that she has the control at least to begin eating away at Ramsey's confidence, at his comfort. So she says, isn't your stepmother pregnant? What of it? This is after he's talking about how they'll be the warden and wardeness of the North one day. What happens if she has a son? Well, then I'll have a baby brother. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I'll be a great big brother. Don't I seem like fun? A little catch in the yard? (laughs) And then this moment is huge. Heavy, heavy with portent. Sansa says, but you're a bastard. A trueborn will always have the stronger claim. We're going to shift very quickly into the seven style right. foreshadow alert tangent mode. Couple things here. One, she is obviously stirring the shit. Of course. But of course. two, you're a bastardy trueborn will yeah. ha- always have the stronger claim. Spoiler alert. Think about the situation that Sansa and John are in now at the yep. end of season six, heading into season seven. Does she actually believe that or is she just trying to fuck with Ramsay? Is that how she feels about John? That's what Littlefinger wants right. her to think. That's the thing that he is. That's the, the little crack right. that he's going to attempt to work on that widen yeah. and into a chasm. She says it with some conviction as well. Concerning. It's very concerning. Very concerning. All right. Back to back to back to this episode. Ramsey fires back. He says, I've been naturalized by a royal decree from, and before he can even get it out, she's ready for it. She says, yeah. Tom and Baratheon, another bastard. Oof. She's finding ways to, yeah. to, to stay in a position of right. strength as best she can. And it's, it's cool to see because it would be very easy to crumble into nothingness in the situation that she's in. You know, speaking of John, Ramsey brings him up. This is yeah. another interesting moment. He says, well, bastards can rise high in the world, like your half-brother, Jon Snow. Born the bastard of Winterfell, now the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And you see Sansa's yeah. face. She's like, Lights up. What? Oh, you didn't know? Yes, he's done very well for himself. Ramsey is taking a chance too. He thinks that saying this will undo her in right. some way. Oh, yeah, you actually have a family member right. out there. He just doesn't give a shit about you. He's not coming to help you. You know, how does that make you feel? That's the kind of emotional manipulation he's attempting here. But He's actually giving her really valuable intelligence by letting her know that a member of her family is not only alive, but in a position of power. Spoiler alert. He's telling her something that she's going to flee. Yeah. Where's she going to go? Straight to Castle Black. Straight to Castle Black. She would not have thought to do that necessarily before hearing this. And then there's Stanny Sr. Stanny. It's an interesting thing to watch someone take a chance depending on where they think they are in their life. Sansa's young. She knows that she's in for years more of what she's been experiencing, but she's not necessarily thinking, I won't have another chance. Maybe this is uh, the chance that I have to take right now. Who knows how many years until I get another one, but it's probably not my last chance. Stannis is faced with the prospect of this being his very last chance. He either goes forward to Winterfell or goes backward and is known forever as the king who ran. And he's in bad shape. His men are bogged down. Snow is falling constantly. Men are coughing. And as we know from watching years of television, 
you don't just cough on TV. That means you're sick. So men are getting sick. And 40 horses died during the night. There's no food. They can't get a supply line from Castle Black. Oh, and 500 of their swords have already turned cloak and rode off, presumably to join the Boltons at Winterfell. So Davos takes his own chance by making a plea, um, which he surely knows is not going to get through, but he tries to abandon the mission. This isn't our time, he says. We should head back to Castle Black. And when the snow clears and Stannis is right in this sense that he might not get another chance, and he's not hearing this, he says, I retreated from King's Landing, Sir Davos. If I retreat again, I become the king who ran. And he notes that winter, you know, this is Westeros. Winter can last for five months, six months, six years, seven years. No one knows. Davos says it's better to wait for the right time than risk everything. And Santa says, this is the right time, and I will risk everything because if I don't, I've lost. We march to victory or we march to defeat, but we go forward only forward. Okay, he's got to take his chance. You know, he's, you know, what, 50-something? And in the middle of winter and far from home, this is not, he's not going to get this chance again. But even Stannis has a limit, uh, you know, for now, when Mel makes her move by essentially asking to burn Shireen, not in those many words, but basically asks to do that. She says, you know, sometimes sacrifices must be made to ensure victory. This is after, oh, Mel, this is after saying, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure. Listen, I saw it in the fires. The, me battle walking. battle in the snow. Yeah, I was walking on the battlements of Winterfell. I saw the whole thing. But, you know, sometimes it would hurt to take out a little insurance policy. And then she goes into her pitch. I've shown you the power of King's Blood. The usurper Rob Stark. The usurper Joffrey Baratheon. And Stannis is like, well, we don't have any of uh, Robert's bastards here. That's unfortunate. No, we have someone better in your blood runs through her veins. And Stannis, again, to his credit, is somewhat shocked. She, of course, Melisandre, has been planning this. She made sure that Shireen was not going to be left behind. Right. Remember. She gotta bring her. Gotta bring her. She said to Queen Selyse, yeah, we gotta, we gotta bring her. We gotta bring her. And Stannis says, have you lost your mind? And Melisandre is... Absolutely in her wheelhouse right now. She looks so confident. Do you doubt me still? After all that you've seen, you mean how we lost the fucking battle and like blah, 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 blah. There must be another way, Santa says. Le the leeches or something. Something. And by the way, that's about, that's like the weakest parry. If he's, she's talking about burning your child. And it's like, well, what about the weak? Can, can you put leeches on her or something? <laughs> can you just do that? <laughs> You can, kill, you can kill her tomorrow. Yeah. Can we just cut her arm up a little bit? You know, it's not burn her, but just cut off her finger or something. And, you know, Melisandre says, there's only one way. You must become king before the long night begins. Only you can leave the living against the dead. All your life has led us to this moment, this decision. And this plays right into his fears, you know, and it plays right into his the, the vulnerabilities that he's been displaying from this whole march. Right. They're both talking about timing. Yes. And he On says, the clock. she's my daughter, get out. And then recoils as she tries to touch him. But I think we'll see that that was persuasive. Boy. Yeah. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Some tears ahead. Also on the clock, Littlefinger and Olena, they know that something dangerous is happening here and they need to get their arms around it quickly. Littlefinger is back in the capital. He just met with Cersei the last episode and now. Meeting with Olena. He is taking a chance by aligning further with Olena and turning once again yep. 
on Cersei behind her back, Elena is also taking a chance by calling Littlefinger out yeah. on the on the info. I know what you did. Yep. Last wedding. Not actually the last wedding. There have been a couple since, right. but she's reminding him, hey, we killed a king together. No small thing. Don't forget what I know. Don't forget how I can ruin right. you, forcing him to, to help her, to do her bidding here. They're both making moves. So, do you deny a part in all of this? He says, Cersei summoned me to King's Landing. I dared not refuse her. And what did she want? A piece of information she knew I had. This is Littlefinger's game. Yep. Knowledge is power. He's been saying that the whole time. Neither silence nor lies were an option. Well, what would Dario say here? Everyone has a choice. Right. Of course there were an options. But you chose this path, right? right. And he's going he's to choose another path now. I have other information of which she is unaware. Give it to us in the voice. And as you say, our interests are aligned. I have a gift for you. What kind of gift? Same kind I gave Cersei. A handsome young man. Brother Lancel. Not that handsome anymore, honestly. I think he looks better. You think? Yeah. With the with the fucking bloody I, seven-pointed star carved into his head? Harry Potter fan. I love a, far, right. I love a forehead scar. Yeah, but that's not a... <laughs> <laughs> it's not his car. That's like it just. It looks like he put on some pounds. He did. He got. He, had that, he got thicker. He had that bony ass. He did have. He was very lithe and very wiry and bony. Was it this? <laughs> was it this exciting? When you were young, I can't believe we're at war. <laughs> <laughs> My, how he's grown. Yes. Well, speaking of brother Lancel, yeah. right? He's not fucking around. Not and anymore. He's also not fucking. Period. No. No. That is a problem for our girl Cersei. Yeah. Because the Faith Militant, which she armed, officially wrecking her game. So let's assemble the Conclave and head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about the Faith Militant. Faith Militant. So after Aegon Targaryen completed his invasion of Westeros, there were two major challenges to his rule. First, Dorne, of course remained unbowed, unbent, unbroken, and unconquered as it would for another 180-some years. Second, and in many ways the more dangerous threat was the Faith Militant. The Faith was the military arm of the Faith of the Seven, ostensibly under the control of the High Septon, but that wavers in times of stress. The Faith Militant was comprised of two groups, the warrior sons who are nobles and landed knights who renounce their worldly possessions, this is Lancel, and the poor fellows made up of commoners, everyone else essentially. The Faith's role was simply to enforce the rulings of the church and defend the flock. Septons and septas answered to the Faith's judicial system, which ran independently of the realm. This arrangement made a lot of sense in the pre-Targaryen days when each region ruled itself, and in particular in the pre-Targaryen years, after the Andal invasion, when the continent was a patchwork of various petty kingdoms. Then, as now, there were three institutions which existed throughout Westeros, irrespective of regional government. The Night's Watch, the Maesters of the Citadel, and the Faith of the Seven. The Night's Watch is essentially a state within a state allowed to carry arms, build castles, etc. But they're a static organization located in the far north. And by oath, they cannot take part in the politics of the wider realm. The maesters are sworn to advise the lords, irrespective of who they are or what they've done. This usually works in theory, by the way, and they are also unarmed. Think of Maester Lewin serving Theon Greyjoy more or less loyally, despite Theon taking Winterfell by force, slaughtering various members of the household and, you know, beheading Sir Roderick Cassell in incompetent fashion. The Faith, unlike the Night's Watch or even the maesters, 
traveled widely across the realm, crossing from the domain of one lord to another. It was sensible then in those centuries before an overarching king's law for the faith to judge its own servants independently. But you can see how that would be unworkable once the Targaryens united the continent. After all, a monopoly on lawful violence is the basis of a state, the basis of ruling. So compounding these issues was the fact that the tenets of the faith itself went against what the Targaryen regime was about. Um, the teachings of the seven-pointed star hold that incest, a.k.a. marrying sister to brother, uh, is bad, is a sin, and children created from that union are abominations. Also abominations? Polygamous relationships. This is a problem, considering that Aegon the Conqueror was married to his two sisters, Visenya and Rhaenys, and that marrying sister to brother to keep the bloodline pure was a long-held Targaryen and Valerian tradition. So, the faith mostly kept these concerns to themselves during Aegon's reign. After all, the man had just flambeed half the great houses of the realm, ending the storylines of the Durandons, the Gardeners, the Whores, forced the other half of the great houses to kneel before him. Religious conviction is really cool. It's really great. Self-preservation is also important. Somebody's got to be around to attend mass. These tensions finally bubbled to the surface during the reign of Aegon and Rhaenys' son, King Anus. What a name! A-E-N-Y-S. No one was like, hey, hey, got any other suggestions? Can we do another one? What about like Jack? Right. Matt. No, let's go with Anus. King Rectum. Anyway, so Aegon the Conqueror had two wives, Rhaenya and Visenya. During the reign of King Anus, who was the son of Rhaenya, Queen Mother Visenya proposed that her son, Prince Magor, should marry the king's daughter, essentially his niece, and the faith flipped out. The king backed down, the marriage was called off, but when the replacement coupling basically proved barren, Magor was secretly wed to Alice Haraway in a Valerian ceremony officiated by his mother, and the faith flipped out. King Anus was forced to exile Magor to Essos. The faith uh, was not entirely satisfied by this, however, and when the king, King Anus, married his son and heir Aegon to his daughter Reyna, they all have the same names, guys, I'm sorry, shit really hit the fan. The king was denounced by the Septons of the Starry Sept in Old Town as King Abomination. Mm. King's hand, Septon Mermison, was hacked to death and the chunks of his body were paraded through the streets of the capital. Sound familiar? The warrior sons... Armed as they were, to the teeth, seized Visenya's hill where Sept of Baelor now stands and turned it into a fortress. And in an extremely alarming development, the Faith's assassins managed to slip into the Red Keep while it was still under construction, and they got very close to hitting King Anus and his family. It was only the dedication of the Kingsguard that managed to turn them away. Anus forced to flee to Dragonstone, where shortly thereafter, King Anus died. King Anus, first of his name. <laughs> All hail King Magor. Bells, bells for Anus. Bells for Anus. Just those bells for Anus, Mad Axe. <laughs> uh, All hail King Magor, a.k.a. Magor the Cruel. Magor would then wage a bloody and open-ended war against the faith that lasted for his entire six-year reign. He fought their champions in one of the only two recorded invocations of a trial of the seven. We'll get to that at some point. He slayed thousands of poor fellows and warrior sons and stacked their skulls in great heaps and had them towed back to the Red Keep. He burnt the Sept of Remembrance from the back of Beleriand and the Black Dread. And in the end, it fell to his successor, King Jaehaerys I, Targaryen, known to history as the Conciliator, to defang the Faith Militant. In 48 AC, exhausted, the Faith accepted King Jaehaerys' offer of amnesty and his vow to protect the Faith's members from violence. In return for disarming and bowing to the king's justice as the final law of the land. And in a stroke, 
Cersei Lannister, acting well beyond her authority, has undone all that good work. Classic Cersei. Classic. Man. Shouts to King Anus. Shouts to Anus. What a dude. What a good guy. <laughs> hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Maester. Yeah. This is the day that our lives, like anuses, actually start to mean something. So let's celebrate by heading to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, which is jam-packed, actually, with these delicious little nuggets. You go first. Number one. Number one. Eamon's agonizing, just sad and heartbreaking final moments. He keeps Beautiful, beautiful scenes. Beautiful. And what a great knowledge of the story lore shown by the writers here. He keeps saying, egg, 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 as he's hallucinating. And Gilly, think about how much death Gilly's already seen Mm. in her life. And she says, Sam, get some sleep. You'll have to speak for him tomorrow. Says, you don't know that. Get some sleep. I'll watch over him. I'll stay too. He's always been good to me. I can't leave him. And that's yeah. that tugs at my heart. And Gilly knows. I mean, you just think of the things that she has seen. She understands this is this is the end. And Maester Eamon is still saying, egg, egg, egg on the fifth. It's little brother. And then Sam's funeral words were Beautiful. really amazing. Um, so apt. He says, no man was wiser or gentler or kinder. He was the blood of the dragon. But now his fire has gone oh, out. Oh, my God. Right, number two. Speaking of Sam. When John is heading out, yeah, packing up, taking those shackles off Tormund, ready to hit the road, all the prep is ready. Yeah. You know, they're literally packing up to head out. This is like when you say, just go pee one more time before yeah. we hit the road, kids. Yeah. We're talking endgame stuff here. Yeah. And Sam goes up to him and says, hands, hands him the, the satchel. It's dragon glass. It's what I used to kill the White Walker. Yeah. Uh, guys? Yeah. <laughs> Seems like something that should have come up a little sooner. Uh, Did I forget to mention what I killed the White Walkers with? (laughs) Did I not? Did I forget to say that? By the way, I love the moment when John unshackles Tormund and Tormund like separates his hands and kind of waves them at (laughs) Thorn like a Deshaun Jackson, (laughs) like a taunt move. It was fantastic. Number three. Cersei to Septa Unella, look at me. Look at my face. It's the last thing you'll see before you die. Well, not exactly, but pretty close. I think actually that would be better. Much. Yeah. Vastly preferable to what actually is going to happen there. Spoiler alert. Number four. Yeah. While we're on the subject of Cersei, let's bring Tommen into this too. <laughs> for Just for a second here. <laughs> Quite an episode for young Tommen. Tommen's very upset and Cersei's trying to calm him, you know? Yeah. It's like, I'll, I'll go talk to him. Sparrow, she says the king cannot sully himself negotiating with an unwashed fanatic. Right. I'll do it. I'll do everything I can to free her and Loras. Talking about Marjorie. Yeah. Your happiness is all I want in this world. <laughs> Thomas says, I know. No, you don't. You can't possibly. Oh. Not until you have children of your own. I would do anything for you. Anything to keep you from harm. I would burn cities to the ground. You are all that matters. You and your sister. From the moment you came into this world, my boy, my only boy. Guys? Yeah. Okay, spoiler alert. 
first of all, obviously, right. the, the prophecy hanging over every word here, fueling every word. I would burn cities to the ground? Yeah. Well, it's a neighborhood, at least. Several <laughs> city blocks. <laughs> Several city blocks, certainly. That is eerie, extremely eerie now that we've seen the season six finale. And Tommen says to Cersei, you know, I'm the king. The right. queen is in prison and there's nothing I can do. And then speaking nothing of- Nothing I can do! Speaking of eerie, though, what does he do right after he says that? He turns and yeah. he looks out the window. So great. Extreme chills in light of what happens in Winds of Winter. Number five. Speaking of Cersei, here she is again, speaking to Tommen once again, no matter who you are, no matter how strong you are, sooner or later you'll face circumstances beyond your control. Events you can't possibly have anticipated or prevented, even if you had. You cannot blame yourself for fate. No. Cersei. Come on. Cersei is the queen of saying shit that directly pertains to herself. This is brutal <laughs> lack of self-awareness right, yeah. here. Brutal. Number six. Speaking of foreshadowing. Yeah. Jason touched on this earlier. Mel is trying to reassure Stannis. And one of the things she, that she says to do this is, I have seen myself walk along the battlements of Winterfell. Oh, yeah. I have seen the flayed man banners oh. lower to the ground. Again, spoil, just spoiler warning, full right. stop on everything here. This is another classic example of the, you know, literal word for word reading of what someone says being accurate. Right. But the context just being completely wrong. She thinks that she's that this means Stannis right. Stannis's battle that's what this vision refers to but of course it's the battle of the bastards right. she is going to walk along right. the battle she the is battlements of Winterfell she will right. see the flayed man banners lower to the ground but it will be Jon's victory not Stannis's number 7 so we got to talk about Bronn in one of the most egregious sex position <laughs> scenes in the entire show Nearly dying from lethal erection syndrome. It's incredible. You know, he's there singing in the... I can just imagine... Beautiful like, voice. Lovely beautiful voice. Beautiful voice. You know, I can just imagine the producers like, you know, this Dorn stuff. It's not working out that great. The battle scene is not that good. Can we can we get uh, one of them to just throw their, throw their breasts up on the bars? <laughs> you think we can... Is that... Can we do that? And just, I don't know, something poison, just work, work something into it. What a scene. Incredible. Mal, mm. a young man came to us not long ago, broken in body and spirit. He had so much to strip away, so much weighing him down. But piece by piece, he unburdened himself. And he'll be thrilled to hear that each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game and advance his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is... <laughs> the High Sparrow. Woo! I mean, he... What an episode for this guy. Yeah, I mean, speaking of going for it, this is a guy who has benefited greatly from being the most sincere person in King's Landing. Everybody else is like, okay, what's your game? What's your angle? Right. Elena even is like, oh, you're doing the penitent guy. You're doing the man of the people. I've seen that. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that one. It's a boring one. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's not doing that. Right. You know, he's, he believes it. And there's a really cool moment where... Uh, you know, he's washing the floor and Olena comes up and she says, you should have the decency to stand when you speak to a lady. And he says, you should have the decency to kneel before the gods. Don't spar with me, little fellow. <laughs> and then he stands up, picks up his bucket and says, you know, for me, it's the knees. For you, she says, the hips. This is, it's just really a human moment and also just kind of fascinating in the sense that 
you know, this is a brutal world, as we've seen. There's not a lot of people contemporaneous to them in age. You can't always commiserate with someone about your AQ right. joints. It's not going to happen a lot. Um, so this would be a rare moment to be able to do that, a very human moment. And then she goes into, you know, man of the people. Aha! I've seen that. Aha! Boring, dull. I've seen that so many times. A man of the people who does Cersei's dirty work. She thinks that because the Sparrow did something that broadly aligned with Cersei's, uh, Cersei's desires, that he's in her pay. Untrue. And he says, pointedly, the people always do the dirty work. And this is what the faith has always been about. And this is why they've risen again, because the common septas and, and septons are being murdered in the streets, killed for, you know, whatever they have in the, in, the, in the temple. And she says, spare me the homilies. I can smell a fraud from a mile away. He says, ah, useful talent. I love that response I know. so much. So she, she's like, you know, you're on the take, right? Obviously, you're working for Cersei. What's it going to take? And she says, gold. I'll make you the richest septon who ever lived. What then? This is so good. This is amazing. I imagine this is strange for you. And everyone you meet has a hidden motive and you pride yourself on sniffing it out. But I'm telling you a simple truth. I serve the gods. The gods demand justice. The gods demand justice. She threatens to cut off food to the capital. And I'll let everyone know it's your fault. Right, and what are they going to do? All your starving flock, they're going to turn to you, they're going to blame you. And then he says... A lifetime of wealth and power has left you blind in one eye. You are the few. We are the many. And when the many stop fearing the few, and then he just walks away. What is he saying here? He's saying, who picks the food? Who brings in the wheat? Who delivers it to King's Landing? Is it you? Right. Is it your son? No. This should send a chill through every lord and lady of Westeros because... He's putting her on notice yes. and he's putting all of the wealthy elites on notice. Yeah. We are not afraid anymore. I mean, he he fits the theme of the episode better right. than anyone else. That's part of why he's the champion. He is not just an unwashed fanatic as Cersei would, you know. This is part of Cersei's hubris that yeah. brings her down, dismissing him, hand-waving right. him as being less than. Right. No, he's here to hang. He's ready to play. And part of that is because he's not afraid to take right. chances ever. His mission is clear. Right. You just have to pay attention. Yeah. And there is the other part of his episode with Cersei. The Olenna stuff is just light fare in comparison. <laughs> there is a truly priceless mini scene Ugh. with Cersei and Marjorie, where Cersei visits Marjorie oh in the cell. Promise, oh, promise oh, to him and she'd check in. This is terrible in here. Oh my God, it's worse than I thought. <laughs> I've brought some leftover venison from the from the cheesesteak yeah. factory if you, you want it. Delicious. Delicious. I didn't finish it. I forgot to put it in the fridge, but <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. And Marjorie hurls it across the room <laughs> yeah. and screams, get out now, you hateful bitch. This is the conversation that Cersei is leaving. Right. Smile on yeah. her face. She's above the clouds right now. in her step. The way they frame her yeah. as they're filming her, you know, you're watching her walk yeah. in euphoria yeah. and victory, feeling herself. And she walks right into a little chapel for a chat <laughs> with the high sparrow who is about to catch her in his nest. It starts very subtly. She asks, well, you know, if, if Loris and Marjorie confess, what's, hey, hey. How did, what, what, what happens yeah, there? It's just out of curiosity. I'm how does that go? Yeah. He says, then they would be shown the mother's mercy. Mm. She asks what that entails. 
he knows at this moment that he is about to arrest her, that this thing that he's describing could very likely be in her immediate future. And yet he is playing out the string here in a masterful way. You want to talk about taking a chance, making a move? Wow, the High Sparrow took his one chance. Who else was going to arm the faith? Who else was going to bear the realm's throat to him in this way? This is a once-in-a-lifetime chance, a once-in-literally-150-years chance. Now, we should say, Littlefinger, obviously, that's this is the handsome boy he was talking right. about. Littlefinger coordinates this in the sense that he helps everyone connect the dots. Lancel, yeah. let's put this story out there. Yeah. Time to go out with this. But the High Sparrow still had to choose to act. Right. He still had to make a conscious, deliberate decision to make that move. Very few people would choose to operate against Cersei in this fashion. Think about the people who are in his prison right now. Loras Tyrell, Marjorie Tyrell, Cersei Lannister, the heir to Highgarden, the queen and the queen mother. Yeah, this is is realm shaking, literally. Guys, yeah. Cersei may be trapped, but remember, everyone has a choice. And we are glad that you chose us. Thank you. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 8, the mind-melting, heart-pounding, Heart Home! Heart Home! Jason's favorite episode of Game of Thrones. It's my favorite episode. Until then, remember, listen to our voices. (laughs) They're the last things you'll hear before you die. Audrey, this is this awful in here. By the way, it's, I brought you uh, some chips here that I had in my car. It's, I ate most of them, but I don't know. It looks like the fare in here is not that that good. I can I can swing by Starbucks if you if you need anything. It's awful. My God, this is so paltry in here. Get out, you evil bitch! No, no, don't be like that. Come on. <laughs>